You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26ers, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Jude Bernard. Jude is a real estate investor and owner of the Brooklyn Bank, which just so happens to be where we hosted our one-year anniversary dinner taping. Shameless plug, if you have not watched that lively discussion, visit December26er.com or search for December 26er anniversary dinner on YouTube to check it out. But back to this episode, Jude and I discussed how he got into the real estate game and how he's been able to sustain himself even through the great recession that we all remember so well. We also chatted about how he's serving the community, not only through owning one of the most beautiful event venues I have ever seen, but also by using it as a hub for various philanthropic initiatives. Jude has a great backstory and let me tell you, he kept it real. So please take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Jude, welcome to the December 26er podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you for having me. Thank you for having us in this beautiful Brooklyn Bank, which is an, a venue that you own, which we're going to talk about during our interview. We're honored to be here in this property that you've built out and working within the, the community here in Brooklyn to bring something amazing. So we're honored to be here as well. Um, I'm glad to have you. Awesome. So tell me, who is Jude Bernard? It's funny you should ask that question. And the fact that you told me that question before, the first thing that came to my mind was like that Marvel scene when um, I think somebody asked Tony Starks, who do you think you mm-hmm. are? And he was just like um, billionaire philanthropist genius, right? <laughs> right? And it was like so cool. And I was just like, oh, I should do something like that. And then um, who is Jude Bernard? It's, that's like a loaded question because it depends who you ask. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm a businessman. I'm a businessman ph- philanthropist. You know, I, I do a lot of work in the community. Um, I'm a runner. I'm, I'm a frat brother to people. So um, if you asked me who I am, I think I'm just a cool dude, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I try to be as as much of a cool dude as possible. I try to be that dude um, that I saw growing up that I wanted to be, like, you know, the guy um, that everybody liked, um, the guy that did right, the guy um, that um, made a difference, you know? Um, so, like, to me, um, that's who, who I'm striving to be, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I forgot the name of the dude. Um, Danny Zuko from, from Greece. Mm-hmm. Was, like, to me, that was like the coolest dude ever. <laughs> oh, you, you you threw it back with that <laughs> reference. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like somewhere between Danny Zuko and 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 um, Denzel and all his roles and stuff like that. So that's who I'm trying to be. Um, so, um, yeah, some little, little kid from hate. You know, excuse me, a little kid from Brooklyn, from Haitian parents to um, it's to somewhere in between that and Danny Zuko and um, Denzel. That's a good combination <laughs> for sure. And I'll say in our first conversation, um, I consider myself a person who's a good judge of character and can assess whether somebody is a good person or not um, pretty quickly. And what I noticed in our first conversation, that A, you were very calm and immediately it was like you caught what we were doing. And I just felt that genuineness that you have um, and you you, you come across as a visionary and someone who can see the long game, which is rare. In a day and age when everybody's trying to just figure out how to do something quick, right, and, and immediate gratification, um, you seem like someone who can see down the road and make investments now for something that may produce later, which probably speaks to some of your career and business. 
business choices in real estate, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, in regards to like when our first conversation, um, I get a lot of people that come to me with a lot of different things mm-hmm. every day, like five times a day. My inbox is crazy. Sure. You know, hey, Jude, can I use this? Or Jude, can you invest in that? Or Jude, can you endorse this, that, the other? And, um, you know, nine out of 10 times, well, 9.7 out of 10 times, <laughs> um, I have to, you know, graciously say, hey, no, thank you. It's not in line with what I do, not in line with who I am, or I just don't believe in it, you know, like um, whatever direct marketing thing you, you want me to be down with, you know. Someone's like, always asking about the, that, the yeah. marketing stuff. Yeah, yes. it's like, no, or um, can you use my space to do X, Y, and Z? It's like, uh, no. Uh, so, but I got it, you know, like um, when when you told me what you were doing with this project, it's it felt dear to my heart, you know. Mm-hmm. Like um, it felt like something that um, I needed to be a part of, you know, and, you know, I did a little, I did a little background. You guys, of course, you guys, <laughs> you guys weren't making it up as you go along. So that was cool. And in regards to um, building for the future, like I always tell people, like um, you can't become friends with CEOs. That's right? powerful and true. Yes. Like, you don't become friends like um, like um, I know I know senators. I know um label heads, you know, I know CEOs and stuff like that, that I'm cool with that are on my phone um, that I could holler at. But these aren't people that I that I knew today, mm-hmm. you know, like um, like some of the some of the label heads that I uh, that are, are friends with me right now that we're cool with. Um, I remember when they were passing out bad boy flyers right. in the 90s, you know, and it's really important that you kind of see people for not who they are, but who they will be. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody, everybody wants to, to get with Barack Obama. Of course. You know, but what about Barry from Barry O from Chicago? Mm-hmm. You know, it took a very special person to see who, you know, who Barry O could turn into and and things like that. So in light of what where you guys can where where I see that this potentially go you know I believe in you I have mm-hmm. faith in you so um you know I could hopefully um you know five ten years from now I could you know sit down and be like yo you know what I remember those dudes <laughs> <laughs> you know when they um you know hit me up on a humble about something and this that the other oh you know I'm like for real for real look look check this look out. at the photos, look at the photos. <laughs> and we are eternally <laughs> grateful for that so let's talk about 90s Brooklyn because that's like, I didn't grow up here, but for me, I perceive it as like the heyday, especially if you were a part of hip hop culture, entertainment, all of those great things. So what was Jude doing in 90s Brooklyn? In 90s Brooklyn, early 90s, mid 90s. Let's late start 90s. early and then we'll we'll walk it all the way down. Well, early 90s, um, statute of limitations have <laughs> expired. So um, I, I was probably doing everything I wasn't supposed to be mm-hmm. doing. And uh, and how old were you at this time? Um, Early 20s. Okay. Early Early 20s um, and um, true story, um, I had gotten in trouble. I had gotten in trouble and I ended I ended up in um, Albany County Jail. Really? Yeah. Can you say for what? Uh, nah. Okay, we'll skip that part. <laughs> we'll skip that part. <laughs> but it was just like a comedy of errors, you know. Um, I got picked up on a Friday. That means Saturday, Sunday. You're in there. That means, and Monday was a holiday. And 
and Tuesday and Wednesday were snowstorms. Oh, so you were stuck before you could make an appearance before a judge. Exactly. So I was in there for like a week and I was just like, yeah. And um, this was in Albany. This is Albany County. So um, I'm a New York dude. Um, and I and I smell like a New York dude. Of course. And, um, you know, this was back when hustling was real big. And, you know, like dudes from the city, you know, used to go to all these small towns and, and kind of like set up shop and take mm-hmm. over and stuff like that. So um, there was no love. There was no love for a New York City dude um, in a in a county jail back then. So it was it was an experience. You know, I got into a couple of fights in a couple of situations and um, I kind of decided right then and there mm-hmm. that um, this is this is not my life. I'm, it's not the route for you. Yeah, I'm not about it. You know, um, I'm 175 pounds now. I was and I'm 20 pounds heavier, heavier. Than, than I was back then. You know, like um, everybody, everybody talks all this tough talk. But, you know, had I got gone that route, I'd be washing somebody's drawers for a living (laughs) you know so um early 90s so that was kind of a wake-up call to um like kind of finding myself and finding what I'm gonna do and this that the other and um like I knew from the very beginning that I wasn't a um like a nine to five kind of dude. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it was it was tough because like I've always had that, you know, quick buck mentality, quick buck sure. mentality. And to, to kind of have to like know that you're not ready for the consequences of that quick buck mentality to um, to what are you going to do? You know, and it was the 90s. The, the 90s was was um, was very interesting because that was again, uh, like that was like the bad boy era. Right. You know, and, you know, that's when, you know, people was like buying bottles and, and doing all, you know. VIP so, sections. VIP, like everything was excess. Yeah, excess, you know. Uh, that's where all that started. And, um, you know, um, so I can't rap. You know, I, I was joking before about dropping, dropping a hot, a hot 16. 16. <laughs> um, I got like a hot two. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like, uh, uh. Yep, that was it. One punch Done line. and done, right? You know. Um, but did you think about managing or doing something else in the music industry? You know, it's like I had a couple of connects and I was I was on the scene, but um, it was just like that was just such a, a slow game, mm-hmm. you know, because like the industry was just like unless you had that hot artist um, that you could attach yourself to, it's, you know, you'd easily find yourself as just being a lackey. Right. You know, um, true story. Um, I used to throw parties. You know, I remember I had a I had this party with Wendy Williams and um, and, her, and her husband and stuff like that. And well, it wasn't her husband then, but whatever. Um, had this party, met Wendy, you know, was cool with her, um, was going up to, you know, Hot 97 when she worked at and and all this and um, had the party. And then one day she's like, hey, I want you to partner with me, partner with me um, to do this party. I said, all right, cool. Um, like, so how much money I need to put in? It's like, no, nah, you don't need to put no money up. You know what I'm saying? We just need you um, to, you know, just partner up with us. Um, so they rolled up on my blog. I used to live in Queens at the time. They roll up on my block and, you know, everybody's like, hey, that's Wendy Williams, that's Wendy Williams. It's, I'm just like, yeah, I'm the She man. was a big deal. In yeah, she yeah. was a big deal. So, um, call me into the car, this, that, the other, like, yo, all right, yeah, I need your partner up with me, with this party. And they hand me this stack of flyers, like this box of flyers, <laughs> right? And I'm like, yo, but my name's not on this, right? It's like, nah, nah, but you, you know, it's all good, you, this, that, the other. And it, 
and they handed me this box of flyers and they, they wanted me to go pass out flyers. Like put them on car windshields and all yeah, that? Yeah, I was like, yo, how am I a partner? You know, like, what's the cut? What's no, the, you're flunky. Yeah, I was just like, nah, this ain't my life. You know, I think those, um, that box of flyers is still at my mom's house, <laughs> like right now. And like, in, in the, the basement uh, Yeah, like, yeah, I ain't doing this. This, this ain't my life. So, um, but I never wanted to be that guy. Mm-hmm. So it was always find, find my niche in, in you know, what I can do and what I could be great at and what I could um, represent myself as where I could be, you know, I hate to use that um, term because every it's so whack now, but where I could be a boss, mm-hmm. air quotes, right? Um, but you wanted to blaze your own trail. Yeah, it's like I, I, I wanted to... Um, I wanted to be the man. I wanted to be the man in th- that I wanted to be, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, like, it was very, even though I was watching people, um, like, you know, like, there was, there was like, all this talk about this um, this kid that they hired as an A&R um, who, who found some acts and, and he was doing this thing. I forgot his name. I think his name is Puff something, right? That guy. Yeah. I think they, <laughs> Sean? Yeah, Sean something. Yeah. yeah. But um, those stories were just so far, few and far in between. You know, that's why I kind of wanted, you know, I wanted to have like my own thing, you know, um, and um, so, I, you know, started working, started, um, I got involved in the real estate game, you know, but not, not in the conventional sense. Like I didn't, everybody, whenever you say real estate, first thing, everybody thinks that you're an agent or a broker and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I was just like, nah, that's just too labor intensive and um, it's not guaranteed. Um, so I ended up picking up a couple of properties in Queens. And, you know, the goal was just, hey, I was working at Verizon at the time. I had graduated from school. Um, if I could just make like between five and six hundred dollars a month mm-hmm. um, extra on top of the fact that I was living at home with my moms and stuff like that. Um, I could boil out of control. You could buy the bottles. Yeah. Like, you know, between my salary um, and and it, like, you know, this little six, six hundred to a thousand dollars. I'd be the man. I was like, right. you know, so. That's kind of how it all started. Got these two, got these two um, small little rundown houses in Queens that were like shacks. Well, let's unpack that <laughs> because people will hear that and look at it through the lens of 2018. Yeah. Like you don't just pick up two properties anywhere. Mm-hmm in the boroughs anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a different ball game now. So let's talk about how you got there. Okay, so I want to go back to Albany County Jail. Had you gone to school already, like before you got in yeah. trouble? Um, I was in school. I was, I used to go to, I was going to school at, at St. John's University. I transferred to Albany mm-hmm. um, to be with my peoples. Um, got in trouble in Albany. I, <laughs> I got in trouble in Albany. I withdrew before they could have, what do you call that? Like an academic hearing? Yeah, like a hearing. Yeah, I was like, uh-uh. You were like, no, I'm just going to cut this off at the pass. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to screw up my record. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went back to St. John's and, and graduated after that. Um, but I was, you know, I graduated in 95 or something mm-hmm. like that. So um, by 90, 97, you know, I had my first two properties. Okay. So what were you doing at Verizon? Uh, Verizon. Um, I started at Verizon as an escort. What uh, does that mean exactly? Like, um, 
I started at Verizon at Escort. And Escort is somebody who um, doesn't really do anything except <laughs> escort the driver when he goes into a dangerous location and just kind of watches his back and stuff like that. So you you were the guy that stands around and yeah, just looks. Exactly. And I've always wondered in construction and any kind of like technical job, who who is the person that's just chilling? Like not actually playing an active role. I did not know that that was a real position. That was a real position. I thought it was just there wasn't enough work to go around. People yeah. were getting paid to be on the clock. But you were just there to watch his back. Exactly. And um, I parlayed that into a couple of months. Um, and everything was like, you know, money driven. I, I parlayed that into like in a, in a matter of like three months. No, in a summer, um, I parlayed that into becoming a technician, mm-hmm. which was a better paying job. So I got into I became a technician. And then like, um, like the first two days of being a technician, uh, I was just like, yo, this sucks. <laughs> you know, like um, it's dirty. Uh, oh, rewind a little bit. Um, like when I got out of school, I had I had two job offers. I, That's what I was going <laughs> to ask. You know, Verizon was the only wasn't the only option. Yeah, I had two job offers. I, um, I had an opportunity to um, become an analyst at um, Goldman Sachs, mm-hmm. you know, financial... You know, in the financial field, Wall Street, suit, this, that, the other. Impressive position. Impressive position. Or I could um, work in Verizon and I chose Verizon for the simple reason, oh, I didn't have to get dressed. Um, like I had a lot of friends that worked there and they, you know, they um, just have a curse word in my mind, so, but I'm trying to think of another word, but they just fooled around all mm-hmm. day, right? So they, they, you know, they just fooled around all day, this, that, the other, and it wasn't, wasn't high stress, this, that, the other. So I chose that. I, I went that route. But um, that strikes me because once you got to Verizon, you made a decision to become a technician because it was a money move, yeah. but you turned down Wall Street money to go to Verizon. But I rather easy money. You want, okay, got it. You wanted the easy money. Yeah, okay. easier money. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I actually, par- like, a few months into being a technician, I parlayed that into um and to being a manager, which was unheard of to, um, first of all, that I had no experience. I didn't know how to do the job, um, but I talked my way into the job. What What did you say to get promoted to a manager like this young kid? Like three months in, three, three months into um, position. Um, I It's just relationships, you know. I kind of had a couple of uh, cool relationships with a couple of managers, started talking to them, this, that, the other. Um, and next thing you know... Um, I said, hey, um, what does it take for me to become a manager? Mm-hmm. You know, because um, I think at that time, um, technicians top pay was like 60 grand. and uh, Which is good for that time. Period. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, for, that's the top pay that takes you five years to get there. Mm-hmm. So I was like at $30,000, okay. right? But um, if I took the management job, which was a little bit more work, but I could be making, you know, I could um, go from, you know, 30 something thousand dollars to like 70 something thousand dollars in in a snap. So I opted to go that route. And it's funny because, you know, I went from escort making, you know, like damn near minimum wage to a technician to a to a manager in a matter of, of months, you know, like probably quadrupled my salary. And with no experience in the field whatsoever. Just, talk, just talking the game, you know, telling people whatever they want to hear, you know, um, telling them whatever they want to hear to to kind of propel me mm-hmm. to the next to the next step. And go ahead. And um, funny enough, because like moving that quickly, I, I was like, just like, hey, you know what? Maybe I might do this corporate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started working on my MBA. So you went back to school. I went back to school. Mm-hmm. 
hustle. And and even that was a hustle be, because um, statute of limitations. Um, I went back to school. I was getting my MBA. But the real hustle was um, I was taking taking all the like loans and grants and stuff like that. And I was flipping that into real estate. OK, it's, it's funny you should mention this because DeMarcus and I, producer of the show, just talked about this like last week. Now, I went to an advanced degree program later, like in the 2000s. And at, at that point, they would not release the money to you. Like if you went and got student loans or whatever, that money wasn't released to you directly. It was released to your school. So the school would pay all your tuition and then disperse to you whatever your like living expenses was. So whatever you were meant to live off of. Was it the same for you or were they giving you like all of the, the money no. and you do with it what you will? No, um, it was the same system. Mm-hmm. But what I would do all right, here's, again, statute of limitations is oh, expired. Good. They can't come after you now. So um, Verizon paid for school. Mm-hmm. So um, right. Um, what I what I would do is I would pay for I would pay for the semester upfront out money out of my pocket. Then um, I would file for financial aid. Mm-hmm. Then um, with with my paid receipt, I would submit my paid receipt to um, Verizon, and they would reimburse me for my um, they would reimburse me for for um, the money that I came out of my pocket. And then when the financial aid came in, when the financial aid came in um, to and paid. To school, I would always ask for a, a refund of the excess. Got it. So it's like um, I kind of got paid twice. You were you were getting it both ways. Understood. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So um, and I was using that money, you know, to to like I used that to buy a couple of the first properties that mm-hmm. I had. So did you mortgage those first couple of properties yeah. and use the the money you had as? No, those were just down payments. Okay. So do you recall how much you spent on down payments at that time? Um, like the the first the first crib I bought, I remember it was like 110000 and I probably had to come out of my pocket like $15,000. Which is just laughable now yeah, for yeah. New York, for sure. Exactly. Okay. So you get these properties, you have mortgages on them. I, I presume some work had to be done. Yeah. But you know what? Funny enough, um, I didn't respect the game at the time. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like doing real shoddy work. You were a slumlord. I was a slumlord. Okay. Um, I'm not anymore, but mm-hmm. um, it was like, I didn't respect the property. Process. You know, I didn't get that. Yo, you know what? You got to provide a good, respectable place for people so you could keep, you know, maintain your relationship and so they could pay on time, this, that, right. the other. Like back then, the way I thought was like, hey, you got a place to live, pay me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, you know, I'll, you know, I'll fix it when I get to it, this, that, the other. Just pay me, just pay me, just pay me. You know, um, it was, it was like a real taking Understood. situation. So, um, but you live and you learn, you mm-hmm. know, like, um, um, I didn't know, I didn't realize that it's better to to do a job once and never have to think about it again. Um, I didn't I didn't see the value of um, of maintaining a positive relationship with, with your tenants mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, it's just like, ah, just pay me, you know. Um, and it's funny because like right now, um, I don't um, I don't like to deal with any um, any like up and coming neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Just because like I'm just so big, like you know, I rather I rather deal with um, heavy, not heavy, like just more expensive product. Sure. And and just you know do do fine work and find people that could afford that fine work rather than um, you know. 
the um, oh, how can I say this? Um, just like people who want cheap rent, right? You just know? somewhere low cost to live. Yeah, like because I found that it's always more more trouble, and and not that I'm only doing work in gentrified areas, mm-hmm. but just um, I, I I don't want if you're looking for a seven hundred dollar apartment, I don't want to be the one to rent to you. You're not that guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that guy anymore. Right. So let's talk about the journey because you started with these two sort of shoddy properties. Mm-hmm. You know, just pay me. I'll get to it when I get to it, just to give you a bit of side hustle income to live the life Mm -hmm. in New York. How did you go from that to, okay, you know what? I don't even need to be an employee. employee. This is a real enterprise here. And I'm going to build this business out and change my model so that I'm working with higher end properties and a different kind of tenant. You know, um, like I watch a lot of people talk about um, about like the decisions that they made. How did I get here? Mm -hmm. Well, I got here by X, Y and Z and I planned this and I did that the other BS yo mm-hmm. a lot of times you just kind of fall into it and, right. and it just happens like um, an- another thing that kind of helped me out was um, when I had these two shoddy properties I was actually living at home I was still living at home um, but I think this was around the time um Oh, Scrubs came out. Remember that song? <laughs> the, the TLC song. Yeah, I don't want you know. Yes. What I'm saying? And then and then Lauren Hill came out with that other song, like about um, I forgot how it goes, but about the dude who lives in his mom's basement. Yeah, doo wop that thing. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I was just like, oh nah. You don't want to be that guy. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Oh, I, I gotta get out of my mom's crib now. But here's the thing: <laughs> I feel like was that a cultural decision? Because I know plenty of like Haitian guys who lived with their moms for longer into mm-hmm. adulthood, but they're helping out, they're contributing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's culturally yeah, but, what happens often. Yeah, but they had those songs that, and they was talking <laughs> about, about me. The image. It, was, it was me. It was, it was like, yeah, you're driving around in your big car in your mom's basement. I was just like, <laughs> I was like, oh, damn. Dude, they had to call me out. So then I ended up buying a house that I that I would live in. Okay, so you bought a third property. I bought a third mm-hmm. property and this, was, this property turned out to be like the best thing that ever happened to me. It was called the craft house mm-hmm. and um it was um me i lived in you know i bought the house but then i brought all my boys in and we kind of had like this big old the frat big bachelor pad exactly okay. and it was you know it was so cool you know like um it was designed nice and you know like we had we used to have these big parties i was about to say you probably had people over like all, all the time, the time all the time. Impossible to keep a girlfriend. And <laughs> nobody in the house was able to keep a girlfriend. I'm shout, not surprised. Shout out to my boy, Danny, who lived um, in the house with me. And it's like him and his girlfriend broke up like a million times <laughs> behind the nonsense that went on in the house. But they're married with kids now. So so he got it together. <laughs> exactly. She, she exactly. hung in there. She saw the, uh, the, the good the, in the, the vision, the vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that house was nothing but pure debauchery <laughs> and nonsense. And um, But on another note, although although it was a lot of nonsense, but um, there was a lot of business that went on in that mm-hmm. house too. You know, like um, we were all involved in real estate, you know, like we all got, you know, it was, we were all in, around that time. It was all, um, we were all involved in the stock market. Okay. You know, um, and it, it was just good energy, good positive um, feedback, you know, like somebody, people to talk to and run ideas by and, and um, not to mention 
mention they help with the mortgage. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. So you speak you spoke of them helping with the mortgage. I want to touch on that a, a bit because I think sometimes people have a fear of getting into real estate and being over leveraged. Meaning, okay, I got these mortgages, the bank gave them to me, but I need I need these properties fully occupied so that I can cover the bills. Were you in that situation or at that point had you built a little bit of a nest egg so that if you had to kick a tenant out or something happened, you could still cover the the mortgage on these three properties? Um more to there's more to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to I used to gamble. Oh, okay. You know, I used to gamble, and this is another ha- bad habit that I kind of picked up along the way at Verizon. Um, like used to gamble heavy. You know, um, so I actually th- those first two properties that I uh, that I spoke of, I had to sell those properties to pay pay gambling debts. Okay, but this wasn't like somebody might break my knees type situation, was it? Uh, no, <laughs> but uh, why? Test it. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Okay. So you had to, to sell property. How much were you in debt? Oh, I've I've easily lost um, millions of dollars. Are you serious? Gamble. Yeah. Like this this tattoo right here that says "Never Again." Twelve thirteen um, two thousand and four. This last day I ever gambled. Wow. Um. And on this date, on twelve thirteen two thousand and four, I sat in a um in a on a blackjack table um, in Vegas, um, and I lost like 130 grand in um, in 30 hours. 130 grand in 30 hours. In 30 hours, and but I wasn't doing it like that where I could lose 130. Mm-hmm. You know, I had credit, you know, so I was just like putting stuff on the cards and this, that, the other. So you were gambling with money you didn't even have. Exactly. Um, I don't know if you remember this uh, basketball player by the name of Sam Cassell. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Cassell came and sat down right next to me and started playing $5,000 hands. So guess what I started doing? Playing $5,000 hands. Started playing $5,000 hands. You know, like they had the ropes. They had the ropes all <laughs> this, that, yeah. But Sam Cassell was making, I don't remember what he was making yeah. here, but. Yeah, like, like making real 10, money. Yeah, yeah, $10 million a year and stuff like that. So uh, I ended up losing like 130 grand that day. But um, I left I left there and um, I got this tattoo and I've never gambled again. So you didn't go to like a Gambler's Anonymous I type did. situation? Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, none of that worked. You know, I remember going to Gambler's Anonymous and these dudes was in there crying like, oh, I hurt my family at this. I was like, you loser. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Get your life together. So that yeah. didn't quite work for you, but it was the sting of losing 130K that you didn't really have. Um, it, it wasn't just the 130K that I lost, but I had to make some life decisions because um, I lost. I lost that money. Mm-hmm. I um I had um like the following week after I took that loss, I had to I was supposed to um I was supposed to go to um Minneapolis mm-hmm. for um uh, to become an air traffic controller. Don't ask. That seems like it's coming out of left field. It was. Because okay. um by this time I had like burnt every bridge at Verizon. Okay. Like and I and and my uh, my days were numbered there. Was it because was it ego? Like I don't need this job. Exactly. Okay. You know, it, it, that's basically all it was. Mm-hmm. It was just like um, I was so disrespectful. You know, um, I was I was young and dumb and never really, you know, never really had nothing before. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know how we get. Yes. <laughs> so, you feeling yourself or smelling yourself, as the old people say. Yeah. So um, I knew my days were numbered there. So um, I started looking at other options and I got into um, the FAA program. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, hey, you know what? These people, is gonna, they'll pay me $120,000 a year. Like, I didn't know anything about the job, but it did. I just looked, oh, 
this is how much they pay me. All right, fine. You know, um, I took the test. I qualified. Cool. I'm going. All right. Got it. <laughs> so a money decision again. Uh, another money decision. You know, like. Up until, I'd say, um, the crash in 2008, 2009, um, all my decisions were pretty much money decisions. Okay. You know, um, and it really took, like, losing everything for the second time because I lost it all gambling Mm -hmm. uh, um, once before. And then I built it back then, um, 2008, 2008, 2009, when the um, real estate market took a crash. I lost it all again, you know, like 2006, 2006, I... I think my net worth was like $3 million. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I am born. Right, you were like, I did it. I, I made I, it happen. I did it. You know, not just a million, I'm a multimillionaire. Right. right? And um, and then by, you know, 2009, you know, my net worth was like negative a million dollars. Gosh. Right. Which is a lot of people's stories, yeah. number one. And number two, a lot of people's stories who never recovered. Yeah. So that's what's impressive. And I, I do want to dig into that more deeply. But before we get there, so did you actually take the air tra- traffic controller job? No. No, you um, didn't do that. Okay. I, I, because of the debt that I was in, um, I, I was just like, yo, um, I have two choices. I could um, take this job and then spend the rest of my life, I spend the rest of my life kind of um, trying to dig myself out of this hole mm-hmm. or I could get serious about this real estate thing and and knock this out and I you know I chose the latter so tell me when you decided to get serious about this real estate thing where was your credit did you maintain good credit even though you had debt um no I had good credit okay so you had good credit yeah so how did you go about that getting back into it but in a much more serious determined focused manner I had like I had like about ninety thousand dollars in cash okay like um I had 90 grand in cash and I was gonna open a bar right? Uh, I wanted to open a bar in downtown Brooklyn because um, the World Trade Center thing just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. So this is around 2001, 2002. Exactly. And um, like downtown Brooklyn is blowing up. Right. And um, downtown Brooklyn is blowing up. Um, a lot of a lot of people that were hanging in the city, like you couldn't hang in the city anymore because it smelled, mm-hmm. had that ill, that ill smell that nobody wanted to be in. And that sheet of fog. Yeah, exactly. That was. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That sheet of death. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody caught cancer who was down there. So everybody started coming to Brooklyn. And I was just like, yo, you know what? I'm going to open a bar in Brooklyn. So I had like this 90, I had like $90,000 burning a hole in my pocket. I was like, oh, I'm going to open a bar downtown. This, that, the other. It's going to be cool. Um. And um, this was before this was before I stopped gambling. So I'm on the corner of um, uh, St. James and Fulton, mm-hmm. Biggie's block. Um, Very well known block. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm on the corner of St. James and Fulton, and I am roll like we rolling dice out there, and we are like it's a scene. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's dudes smoking weed. There's they have forties. The guys have their their tims on. You know, dice. There's money on the floor. It's like 30, 30 people running deep, right? And um, so um, as this is going on, um, this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl comes and she runs right through the middle of the dice game and she kicks the dice and the money and keeps going um, like like basically messes up the whole like, thing. She's literally jogging. She's jogging mm-hmm. but she she's jogging and um, like comes in, kicks the money, kicks the dice and just like like nothing that just happened and nobody says a word to her like and everybody's just like blank stares like did this just happen? Like what just happened? Right and then and then I realized I was like yo 
this ain't your hood no more. Nope. This that's is, the, there goes the neighborhood. Yeah. This is not your hood. So that's when I started looking at the neighborhood a little differently. Like it was that moment that kind of sparked it and it made me start looking at the neighborhood a little differently. Seeing, seeing, uh, oh, look, you know, look at this store. This store doesn't belong here mm-hmm. or that store doesn't belong here. And look at, um, or, you know, I, I started looking a little differently. So um, I wanted to put the bar there, but it kind of changed my idea of how I wanted to. Sure. How, how I wanted to. Um, um, to, to do the bar. And then one of the real estate agents who um, was helping me um, look for a bar, he, he came up to me and he was just like, yo, um, I know you got this money in your pocket. There's this property right here mm-hmm. um, that you could buy for, for $400,000, right? Um, this is brownstone you could buy for $400,000. Um you know, 20% down, that's $80,000 um, plus your clothing costs. You could get into this thing. Mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, cool. This is like 2002, 2003. Um, and uh, I ended up, I ended up getting this property. Ended up buying the property that's next, right next door on top of it. Which is unheard of now, now for $400,000, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, you know, and I still have both those properties. That, wow. I still have both their properties. People offered me you know, three million, two million dollars for them all the time. Of course. Um, and that's when it really started for me. I started picking up these brownstones downtown Brooklyn. And it's not like I knew downtown Brooklyn was going to turn it out. Like, oh, I knew the Barclays Center was coming mm-hmm. and I and I knew they was going to put this coffee and tea shop on. The- it's like, nah, I got lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, I got an opportunity at, and I um, I took advantage of the opportunity, right. you know, um, and I, I never got stagnant and I just kept building and building and building and um I was I was lucky that when um when things fell apart mm-hmm. you know that I didn't have you know like a wife and kids or or, or people who depended on me to uh, like I didn't have to run back to work right you know like I was just like yo I'm gonna ride this out you know um I remember you know when things fell apart um getting on a plane and going to India to get a, you know, this was before Alibaba and everybody could mm-hmm. just, you know, like order here online. I remember going to the temples and, and, and getting the hair connect and bringing, bringing hair back to the United States. Okay. So let's talk about that <laughs> a little bit. Let's pause right there. Mm-hmm. So you, you're buying up properties. You've got a nice little por- portfolio happening mm-hmm. and everybody knows the great recession, right? The, mm-hmm. the bubble burst, the bottom drop. Exactly. A lot of people lost a lot in that time frame. Yeah. People's 401ks going up in smoke, properties going into foreclosure, yeah. properties that they shouldn't have had in the first place exactly. because they, they really couldn't afford. So now how, when the crash happens, how how many properties do you own at that point? Probably about 10. 10 properties. Yeah. Okay. So you've, you got a nice size portfolio. Yeah. No, well, no, probably about eight. Eight. Okay. Good yeah. enough though, right? Yeah. So the crash happened and you had tenants in all those properties? Um, some of them. Okay, so some might have been vacant. Yes. Some had tenants. Some some were purchased um, with the intent of fixing the flip, but all that went out the window. Right. Okay, so now you've got to figure out, and you're in this full-time at this point? Full-time. In, full-time. So you've got to figure out not only how to sustain you personally, pay your bills, mm-hmm. but see if you can keep these properties yeah. as well. And some and somehow you figured out that hair was the way to help you get through that. Yeah. What was the light bulb moment that gave you that idea? <laughs> so... Um, um, back in 2006, when things were good, again, what did I go out and do? I went out and bought a big house <laughs> out in cliffs, mm-hmm. you know, with the pool and this, that, the other. So even when things were bad, I was still fronting. Got it. Okay. <laughs> you know, Keeping was, up 
appearances. Exactly. I still fronting. Um, I used to have this all white party at the house, and um, I remember. Um, so the day after the all white party, I'm cleaning the pool, and my filters have all this this weave and stuff in it. I'm just like, what the hell? And then and then I, and I'm like sitting there. I'm just like, yo, who? What chick came up in here um, with her hair weave and 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 clogged up my filters? So then I'm just start thinking about it. I was just like, it was all of them. <laughs> They, they, they all did. I was just like, yo, and then, and then I was just like, yo, all of these chicks is buying um hair, buying hair. Where they getting it from? What's the margin? You know. Um, and then funny, funny enough, right after that, I think um Chris Rock had had this this um documentary here exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, and um next thing you know, like I'm researching it. I'm I'm in India. I'm buying hair. I opened up this studio um in the city. So you opened up. Up a full-blown like brick and mortar location yeah, yeah. you know um like at that point at one point i was like the the um the number three person in the city for hair for hair yeah so this is before because now like i always chuckle as like the hair at the hair social Every, media sites they follow you everybody's selling hair everybody now. but back then people didn't know those connects were secret it yeah. was like you know the beauty supply store they yeah. they might know the owners it was a very small community very. so you go figure out where to go in india you bring this hair back you open a brick and mortar but how were you getting customers? How were you advertising? Um, I had a couple of girls that worked with me. Um, I was I was going I was going door to door to um, beauty salons. Really? So you were actually like yeah that dude like the with, that comes with, with, in with, like with, I got the hair exactly mm -hmm. um, that they used to treat me real true story. Um, so I do this every um, every year I do this like biggie party and mm -hmm. it's like huge. Um, you know I, I like I book out the whole forty forty and I you love uh, parties that's for sure. I, 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 <laughs> I do, I do. Um, so, um, and um, this one shop in Harlem, there was this girl. She used to re be really nasty to me, you know, like mm -hmm. just sit, sit and wait, just sit and wait. Mm -hmm. I get to you in a minute. And um, and like she ended up coming to to my biggie party, but didn't know it was me. And she was like, "Hey, you're the weave guy. What are you doing here?" And I was like, "This is my party." And she like looks around. She's like, "This is your party?" And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "But you sell you you go door to door yeah, selling she, weaves." She's thinking shit like baby and baby boy yeah like you know just bringing things to sell yeah right? and, I, and i'm just like yo that's just like uh another like lesson that i had learned i was just like yo you can't judge people by who you think they are based right. on on a microcosm of their life. Exactly. And the reality of it is most people in New York have multiple hustles. Yeah. You never know how many different ways they're getting money. Yeah. So she came to your party. I'm pretty sure after that, yeah. it was all good. No, but, but um, by then I was out the, out the hair business mm -hmm. anyway because um, real estate had to come back. Come back. Okay. And so you held on to everything. I didn't lose anything, you know, like um, it's like it's myself and two other friends that I knew that didn't lose anything in the in the crash and it was the hair that sustained you uh <laughs> what year is this hold up this is you gotta do the math i gotta do, do the math on the statute of limitations <laughs> um i had the hair i was running a card game got it okay <laughs> so was, like okay well, hold on. so you're one of those people with like the dark room and you had to come in with a certain amount of money and people come in to play cards exactly yeah. so so um we was running doing the hair at night i mean her hair during the day and then um and then like when everybody when the hair stuff was all over um you know move all the hair to the back put the tables down and people would come in and you know and i would never sleep i mm -hmm. think i think i'm 
with like like two years of getting like two hours sleep here and wow. there, you know. But that's the thing that I was saying that I was lucky, not even lucky. It's just my particular circumstance that um, I didn't have, a, you know, I didn't have a family mm-hmm. um, and I didn't have anything else going on. Like, you know, if I had a kid at home, I can't I can't work all day, you know, work all day selling hair um, and then um, and then run, run a poker room at night. Right. But I think this is important because there are people who will hear this and say, OK, well, he was engaging in illicit activity. Of course, he had the money to do uh, what he needed to do. But the lesson is what you've already touched on within a different context is you can't just judge by what you see. Yeah. And I think often like we look online or we look at what someone has. And we say, look at all he's been able to accomplish. Like, why? You only seen this much. Yes, like, why can't I do that? And then the ego comes into play and you're making all these, creating all these false narratives, not knowing what that person might be doing behind the scenes to make it happen. Yeah. You know, like, I'm a runner. Mm -hmm. All right. And um, I hit some really amazing times in the last couple of years. Uh, I think I ran like um, like a 134 half marathon. Wow. And everybody's just like, wow, Jude, you're such a great runner. This, that, the other. It's like, no. Um, when I when I ran, when I when I ran that time, I wasn't drinking. Mm-hmm. I was eating right. I was um, I was exercising. I was stretching. You know, I was following the routine and doing and, and this was my life. Mm-hmm. I was focused on this. You know what I'm saying? I had. Right. A, I had a goal and um, there, there's a there's a blueprint that's out there. Sure. Absolutely. It, and um, people, you know, you can't skip you can't st- skip steps and you can't cheat the process. Which you have tried to do in the past. Yeah. In other areas. And yeah. it didn't work long. And, and it didn't work. You know, at all. And um, but like those experiences, you know, those experiences, um, the good and the bad has gotten me where I am today. And um, I've learned. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot. Like, um, you know, like now there's, there's not enough money for you to pay me to do anything that's not like by the book On or a, uh, straight or, and narrow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, it's not worth it to me. Right. You know, like I have too much to lose. Absolutely. You know, and not only that, I've also learned that. That um, I've learned about karma. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You you can't you you can't do wrong and and expect right. Right. You know, like especially when I was coming up back um, in the day. Like in hindsight, you know, you always see, you always see it real clear in hindsight. In hindsight, like every time I came up, right, came up and 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 I bought a car. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I did something I wasn't supposed to, and I copped the I copped the hottest whip. You know, um, I'd find myself, oh wow, I crashed a car, right? But like I wasn't I wasn't able to put two and two together that it was like the universe balancing itself. Sure. You know what I'm saying? The universe balances itself. You know what I'm saying? Like it will always it will always um even itself out. You know what I'm saying? Like if you put five here, you it, it, you take five away from here. You know what I'm saying? So Absolutely. So it's just like the worst thing you could ever do is think that you're you're um you're smarter than the universe. Absolutely. You know? It's just like um um earlier this year Everybody and their mother was um, was like, oh, I'm going to become the next crypto, the next cryptocurrency billionaire. Right. Everybody was investing in um, uh, what's that thing called? Um, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. I I shorted it. Really? Yeah. And we've had folks who are really into blockchain and Bitcoin on this show. I I shorted it. Why? Um, Because if everybody's going to the left, if everybody's going to the left, I'm going to go to the right. You know, like this this country is not based is not made for um for the average joe to to just get rich mm-hmm. right so um all the all these people 
um, all these people who are have, were so heavily invested in Bitcoin that didn't know anything about it, you know, that were um, investing purely on speculation. It was only a matter of time mm-hmm. before um, it fell apart. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, like. And I and I kept it. I kept the diary about it on on Facebook. I was just like, all right, um, I'm shorting it for X amount of dollars today. This, that, the other. And I knew um, that eventually it would fall apart because I've been down this road before. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've um, I've. I followed the herd in the real estate market, not right. knowing not, not knowing what I was doing and got burned. I followed the herd on the tech bubble, you know, not knowing what I was doing and 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 got bit, you know. So it's just like um you're never ever going to um get rich following the herd. You know, like mm-hmm. the, the the people who are at the very at the very forefront, they they're going to do all right. Sure. But everybody else who's coming aboard, like everybody and their mother right now is selling here. How much is, you know? It's a different game now. The market is flooded. The market is flooded. Back back in the day, it sounds crazy, but back in the day, uh, I used to sell 16-inch wavy for $160. You know? I think 16, last time I looked, 16-inch wavy is going for like $100, $90. Mm-hmm. So how much <laughs> How much were you grossing? I'm just curious. On In hair in a month? Um, Maybe maybe about 15, 20. No, grossing? Mm-hmm. Um, I was making about 15, 20,000 dollars. Okay. Um, a month. So enough to cover your bills and just no, ride out the wave. No, no, it still wasn't enough. So, so it was the poker as well or the no, card games? It was no the po- In hindsight, the poker was like a waste of time. Okay, you know, because by the time um, I split with my partners and stuff like that, um, it really, you know, there probably would have been better use of my time. Okay, um, but you know, I was doing Airbnb. I was doing, you know, like I was doing. Everything. Just cobbling it together yeah, to actually exactly. survive. Survive. You know, I remember um, like my house was in like everything was in foreclosure. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a point where I knew that um, that it was, I was probably about three or four months away from them just taking my house. So let me ask you this, because we always get this question into the interview. And I feel like this may be a great story for that. We ask every guest, describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. And that's their chance to tell about a valley experience where they had to persevere in spite of. And it sounds like multiple houses in foreclosure. That is a real valley yeah. experience. Multiple house in foreclosure in my house where I lived in, you know what I'm saying, Bernard Manor, you know, like um, was gonna, was about to be lost, you know? Um, and I remember like I had a, um, a vacant two bedroom apartment that I had, I was planning on moving into like once they took my house. And I remember going into that apartment and looking around and saying, well, this is what I could do. This is what I could do. And I, and I broke down and I cried in there mm-hmm. and um, I broke down and I cried and I was just like, Yo, this is this is what I'm gonna be. This is this I'm I'm gonna be ordinary going mm-hmm. going forward. Like I'm I'm not gonna um like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have this big house anymore. I'm not gonna have these big cars. This is just I'm just gonna be surviving. You're not gonna be the man. Yeah. You're just gonna be trying to live like yeah. everybody else. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna be struggling. Mm-hmm. And um it was um the point where I was just like, yo, you know what? It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, I'm gonna survive. You know? And I think that was like the turning point. And um it's funny because um I used to get I used to get a new convertible. 
every summer. Mm-hmm. Th- that was my thing. Every year, you were getting in every a year. BMW were you leasing or buying these? B- buying and then taking a hit on it the next oh, year. Gosh. Right? Um, BMWs, Benzes, Jags. You know what I'm saying? Lexuses. Every every hot every hot um, every hot car that ever came out, I had it mm-hmm. one summer. And um, that, you know that used to be my thing. White convertibles every summer. All you white know, parties. It, white convertibles. Exactly. You were like a prototype at one point. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Um, they could do a case study on that. <laughs> um, but um, like that's when I really became free when I let. Like once I accepted that all of this stuff was going to go and I was going to survive regardless, that's kind of like my turning point of of where I've got to where I am like now. So, yeah, let's talk about now. So you you rode the wave. Mm -hmm. You even though you thought you were going to lose your property, you you held on to it by the skin of my teeth. And actually, um, you know, earlier this year, like me and Citibank, we were battling, you know, a lot of these things that I I got um, a lot of my mortgages I got modified mm-hmm. loan modifications yeah. were huge yeah. after the crash yeah I did a I did a lot of them and funny enough um one of the, the person who put, put me on oh here's here's a true story um so this girl that came to my um to my pool party um came to my pool party in, in my big house mm-hmm. came and she brought a friend with her who worked at Chase and said, hey. She did not know about your file. She saw my file and told her friend. And her friend came back and said, hey, Jude, I saw your file. Um, I can help you. Wow. And she she guided me through and we modified. We got the loan. Like, um, loan modifications are not an easy thing. It is not. I used it, to be a volunteer foreclosure yeah. defense attorney after yeah. the crash. I yeah. know. Yeah, because if, like, if you got to be, like, right there at the sweet spot. You know what I'm saying? Because a dollar too much and you make too much and you don't qualify. Right. And then a dollar not enough, um, you don't qualify. Exactly. They want to know you have not enough to pay, but just enough that if we bring you up current, extend the length, you know, the length of your loan and make some other changes that you'll be all right. Exactly. And and that's a form. And, and they don't disclose that information. No. It's just like trial and error and hope that you fall in between, which I'd say like one out of every 50 people. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, would fall into. But. But um, she she worked with me and um, we got the, you know what I'm saying, let, let me know what the numbers were that they, they were looking for and um, and basically saved my house that way. Wow. Saved my house. And then um, I, I took that and I parlayed, parlayed that into other modifications. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there were like two banks that refused to modify. No, not two banks. I had two accounts with Citibank and they refused to modify. And I was fighting them up until last year. Wow. And um, it, it was funny because I, I was fighting them up until last year and I lost. And But uh, I was able to just cut the check. Oh, I lost? All right, here, here you go. So the blessing in the fact that it took so long is you were able to get Re- back on your rebuild. feet. Rebuild. And just say, all right, well, you know what? I didn't win this round, but I have the capital to just pay them off anyway. Exactly. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. So let's talk about Brooklyn Bank before I let you get out of here. This amazing venue, multiple floors, multiple spaces, art on the wall. It really is gorgeous. How did you get this? Okay, before we talk about Brooklyn Bank, we got to talk about Loft 676. Okay, let's go to Loft Loft 676. So Loft 676 was um, before the hair. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, there's like a million little things that, that 
I tried, you know, to, to, you know, help me cover, you know, that, you know, some made it, some didn't. Mm-hmm. So Law 676, when the real estate market crashed, um, I was able to 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 find that that all they had all these big spaces in Manhattan that were empty. Mm-hmm. So I went to a landlord and I was just like, hey, I want to rent your space out um, and I want to throw parties, <laughs> throw parties in here. Right. Parties and all, you know, use it as an event space. Landlord says, cool. Um, so I get into the space and, you know, I'm making money. I, I think at one point I'm making like 30 or 40 grand a month. Wow. You know, like cause just throwing parties. You're or no, giving no. The space to other people. Giving the space to other people, like, the, um, like three to five thousand dollars a pop, mm-hmm. um, because no matter, even though there's a recession, people will not stop partying. Oh no, they they, they <laughs> can escape from what's going on. Exactly. So, um, this was in Soho. It was a beautiful space, and um, so I had this space. But what happened was the guy downstairs from me ran a music studio. Ah, uh, okay. And the noise and stuff like that interfered with his um with his business. So. He basically shut me down. You know, he pulled strings, got got the city involved, this, that, the other. And um, basically, I had to sneak out like a thief in the night with all my stuff because I didn't... Because he vacated. I, yeah, because I didn't want to... Under cover of night. Yeah, because I didn't want to do the walk of shame. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and this was, a, this was Memorial Day, I think, Memorial Day 2010. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I got all my stuff out. And I, and I remember saying, yo, you know what? I will never... Um, I I will never open up a spot like this again um, unless I own the building. Right. You know, so um, fast forward, fast forward, like, you know, like six, seven years later, um, my Sands comes to me and he's like, hey, um, I have I have this this church because this was a church. Mm -hmm. Um, It was used as a church prior. I have this church I'm trying to sell. And I was like, yo, all right, I'll take it. You know, did you look at it first? Yeah, I came. I I came by and I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like, um, it's nothing like this. I was about to say, I'm sure it didn't look like this. Did it at least have the exposed? No. No, it, the brick brick wasn't even exposed. No. Wow, but you saw what it could be. I saw what it could be, and um, you know, I was talking to you. I was talking to your brother before, and I was just like, "Hey, the the trick to um to getting deal is to um like buy what it could be. Mm-hmm. What when somebody's simply selling what it is. Understood. You know, because um if they're basing their valuation on what it is. And and but you're looking at what it could be. Mm-hmm. You're ahead of the game. Absolutely. You know, so um, it's it's funny because, um, you know, I got the contract for this place. And and since then, people have offered me like triple what I paid uh, triple what I paid for it. And um, I'm not I'm not I'm not giving it up. Um, but this to me is like a symbol of of us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I don't do you know, this place is not just for me, it's it's for us. Mm-hmm. You know, um like when people you know, uh I remember this Hasidic guy came up to me and he offered me like three three million something for it and I was just like, nah, I'm, I'm good. And he was just like, Where are you gonna ever gonna make this kind of money again? This, that, the other. And then I was just like, I'm good. And then finally he started pressing me and I, and I was like, yo, you know what? You go get me a bill 
building on Lee Avenue, you know, um, and you could have this one. So for people who are not in New York, explain what you meant by that. Um, Lee Avenue is in, in the center of the Hasidic community and they have a, you know, they have all the, that's where they live. That's where they do they have all their businesses. They stuff have like, it on lock. They have it on lock. Like they would never let another, another um, person of a, of a different culture come in mm -hmm. and, and participate in that area. So, um, my position is that this is our, this is for us. This is, you know, this is, this is, this is Bed-Stuy right here. This is real Bed-Stuy, you know, um, for Thanksgiving, we did a, we did a turkey drive and, you know, we gave away 200, 200 turkeys. Wow. You know, um, like those line, people lined up around the corner. Um, I do, I do financial literacy things in here. Um, we have my book club that meets in here mm -hmm. and st stuff like that. So this is, this is just like my, my way of giving back my, way of um of the the community having some place to do you know like even this interview right. and the interviews that that will happen here going forward it's less like this is like it's it's good that i'm in a position to um to contribute and it shows your evolution as a man yeah so at, at one point you're buying up real estate you're collecting checks you know partying it was a, a means to an end and that was it now this is an enterprise, absolutely, a beautiful space that people can rent for amazing events, but it's also a hub within mm. the community. Yeah. And it's almost ground zero for folks mm. to come and receive resources and support and a, and a vehicle for you to give back also. Yeah, it's, it's evolution, it's change, it's, it's like, you, things you're um, what's important to you changes as, as you get older mm -hmm. no not necessarily older but as you get wiser you know um, the same guy who you know had to have every hot whip every summer mm -hmm. has been driving has been driving um, a Honda CRV a 2007 Honda CRV listen see <laughs> see I knew I liked you because I always say do not hate on the Hondas 2008 yeah. Honda Accord here there you I, oh, I have the title it's paid off but it still runs yeah I'm good money with yeah. Yeah, it's just like yo, it's it's like um um the people the people who matter are not impressed and the people who are impressed don't really matter. Right. So it's just like um uh, like my legacy is gonna be based on on how many people I touch, mm -hmm. how many people I help, you know. Um like I think um Friday, Friday I was I was so amped on Friday because mm -hmm. um two of my peoples um closed on on deals that I helped them both on. Wow. You, you know, like I, I felt like I, I felt like I was getting a check, mm -hmm. you know, it, like it was that that's the thing, you know, because like, like that's two people that um, their families will um, will benefit. And even though, you know, my name won't go down in the history books as anything that um, that I participated in that I know that I, I help change for the better. Right. You, you're helping other people create a legacy. Now. Yeah. So it's just like things change, you know, um, you grow. So tell me what's on the horizon for Jude Bernard as you continue to grow? I just need a break. <laughs> <laughs> some some relaxation, that's yeah, what's on the horizon. Yeah, I, I you know, um, back in last November, you know, I made, you know, last year, I made this big announcement that I was retiring in, in um, November of 2017. I was going to retire on my 45th birthday and this, that, the other. But, um, you know, there's been more deals and, you know, uh, more opportunities. Mm -hmm. And so, Right, right now, um, the goal is just to finish what I have in 
in hand at the moment and um you know like ride this ride this out you know because sure. you know there's going to be another bad point agreed i've been talking it, about this now for a while you know like it's it's all going to fall apart again and but luckily this time around i'm i'm not over leveraged um everything is everything is stable so um it, when things fall apart maybe maybe that'll be you know when I kind of fade to black. You chill out, just chill eat out. good food, relax, drink good wine. Exactly. <laughs> so where can people learn about your venue? Where can they find Brooklyn Bank online? Um, well, my the Brooklyn Bank website is still not up after a year because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so busy doing that I'm not, uh, well, excuse me, the Brooklyn Bank, the nonprofit mm-hmm. is, is not up yet, but th- for the venue, it's, I think it's brooklynbankvenue.com. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that's up, but um, the Brooklyn Bank, the Brooklyn Bank, um, the hub, the mm-hmm is actually a nonprofit, like a, a legit 50 federally registered yeah nine. exactly and um you know it felt really good um doing that thanksgiving thing that we did mm-hmm. a lot of people came out and it was so much fun you know like, isn't it fun to give like yeah. see other people be blessed by what you've been blessed with yeah like we had like maybe 15 of us here like packing the bags mm-hmm. and 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 coffee uh, coffee and chocolate and you know what i'm saying just just a good time you know and and, and and everybody had this good energy about them that comes from when you're doing good. Absolutely. And where can people find you personally online? I don't have a website yet. I've been working on that for the last six years. Um, I'm on Facebook, social mm-hmm. media, um, Facebook, Instagram, JJPB, Facebook, Jude Bernard. Awesome. I, I talk a lot on, I have a lot to say on Facebook. I can tell you, you're very opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But I've cleaned it up. I've, you know, like um, I've started to be mindful that, you know, every thought is not meant to be shared, mm-hmm. you know, and and if it's if it's not helping, it might not be the best thing to say. Right. No, like if if no good come, if no good will come out of it, don't don't say it. Understood. You know, like don't 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 forward that that fight or mm-hmm. that negative energy or, or whatever. It's it is. not worth it. Exactly. It always balloons and mushrooms into something else. Yeah. Which is just not an effective use of time. Yeah. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Personally, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say you're just getting started. You're talking about retirement. I feel like you're a person when you see an opportunity, you seize it. Maybe it won't be at the level you were doing back in the day, throwing parties, but I think you're just getting started. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And to our listeners, make sure you check out Brooklyn. I just want you to see the pictures. If for no other reason, check out brooklynbankvenue.com. Follow Jude. Keep your finger on the pulse of what he's doing in the community. Um, It's commendable and, and not something that we see often. So make sure you do that. And as always, follow December 26er online and remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.